as our children are leaving to uh, head to Children's Church, as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and we'll begin in verse 28 there in a few minutes. There's a picture in my office on my bookshelf, and it's of uh, six teenagers, six teenagers that I had the, the privilege to baptize one Sunday here in this baptistry, and I look at that picture every day. I see them, and they've all scattered and, and gone other places, but this morning, two of them are here, and uh, I looked up and saw them a few minutes ago, and Twyla and Rachel, thank you for being here. I love you. <clears throat> this morning, we are in Luke chapter 19, and we today is Palm Sunday, obviously, and we're going to look at the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. And there's a difficulty in preaching on Palm Sunday because most of the time, if you're preaching leading up to Easter, you have uh, already been, maybe uh, if you're preaching, you've already been to the Last Supper, you've already talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there praying um, and, and submitting His will to the Father. Or maybe you've, as I did last week, already preached about those three crosses uh, at Calvary. And now on Palm Sunday, you have to back up and go back really to the beginning of the story. So this morning, we're going to rewind. We're going to go back to um, where it all started. But I want you to uh, understand this is, the, uh, this is a very significant part of the, the whole story. This is where it begins. Next week, obviously, on Easter Sunday morning, we will talk and we'll preach and we'll sing and we'll worship according to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this is where it begins to culminate. This is where Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. And so today we will talk about Palm Sunday. It's so called because of the palm branches that were used there on that day. Palm branches are a symbol of beauty and a symbol of prosperity. When you look at old movies and you see there a king or a queen sitting on a throne and you see some people, some servants who are standing on either side of them fanning them with these big branches, those are palm branches that they're fanning the king and the queen with there in the court. Um, they have special significance. When the temple was built and they began to decorate the temple, they um, so many places there throughout, there are palm branches that are all the way through there etched in stone. And so it is significant in Scripture, the palm branch is. And we see the triumphal entry. Here in Luke's account from his gospel, we don't see some of the details that we see in the other gospels. But as Jesus is coming in, they're crying out, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna. And they are, are declaring that Jesus is coming in triumph into the city of Jerusalem. This account is recorded by all the gospel writers, and it's very significant. There's a setting and a scene here. This is five days before the Passover uh, feast. Jesus and his disciples are coming from a village close by, it's about two miles away, the village called Bethany. 
It's located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. So they are not far away from Jerusalem. They are coming there as they have done in the past to celebrate the Passover feast together. They are going there uh, to prepare and to partake in just as other Jewish people are doing. There will be about 300,000 pilgrims who will come to the city of Jerusalem during these five days. And they're there to take part in the Passover feast together. The Passover feast is the most significant and important of the Jewish feast because they are celebrating their salvation, the salvation of Israel, who had been in slavery and bondage to the nation of Egypt for hundreds of years, and they were delivered, um, and so they are celebrating a salvation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Jesus and his disciples will eat this meal together, and Jesus will declare to them then, as he breaks the bread, and as he passes around the cup, he will declare to them that he is now the broken body, and he is now the blood that will be shed, and he will become a one-time forever sacrifice for all people who are living. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, for Christ, is our, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Now there's a large crowd of people there who meet Jesus on his way from Bethany into Jerusalem. There's a great multitude of people. But at this morning, I want to look at a small group of people and a small, some small situations where there is a submitted minority and I want to look at their accomplishments and I want to look at their examples and stress why they are still so important to us here 2,000 years later. A large crowd of people, huge crowd of people, but in that crowd of people, there's a minority there who are completely submitted to Jesus and to the will of the Father. So let's look at those beginning here. Let's read verse number 28 together as Jesus submits to the will of the Father. In verse number 28, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now is there a place in your life where you know you shouldn't go? Or is it, was there a place in your youth or your childhood where you knew you weren't supposed to go? That it was just not a place where you were supposed to be? There were places when I was a kid or when I was a teenager where my parents would tell me, you're not supposed to be there, you shouldn't go there. Sometimes I went anyway. And after I would get there, I would realize the situation and why they told me I shouldn't be there. A lot of times as a mature Christian now, now that I've been a Christian for a couple of decades, there are places where I go and there are situations where I am, that I just don't feel comfortable. There are situations and places and, and things that happen, I just feel out of place. Maybe you understand that feeling and situation also. But as we look at this, Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father in making this, uh, this trip up to Jerusalem because it is a very dangerous place for Jesus to be. The most dangerous place for Jesus Christ to go 
is to the city of Jerusalem. We see the account in John chapter 10 where Jesus is in the temple and Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I and the Father are one. This infuriates the religious leaders who are there because Jesus has put himself on a level with God the Father. He expressly gives the, the, the declaration here that I am an equal partner to God. And so there is an attempt there in John chapter 10, there's an attempt on his life. Then after Lazarus is raised from the dead, many people witness this uh, miraculous event and many people hear about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and many people leave the temples and begin to follow Jesus. And because of this, there's a great danger that has increased because now, not only the religious leaders, but now the chief priest of the temple, whose name is Caiaphas, he joins the plot to kill Jesus. So Jesus begins to avoid the Jews altogether, and he takes his disciples to a village called Ephraim. So we see that in this statement here, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. There's a lot of danger in this statement. But we also see that there is fulfillment of prophecy in this statement. Zechariah 9 and 9 makes a declaration of prophecy many hundreds of years before about Christ riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives prophecy that someday Jesus will arrive in Jerusalem as a prince. So we see a great deal in just this little sentence here, we see a great deal of significance about the event. But most importantly here we see that there is submission to the Father's will in this statement. Jesus submits completely to the will of the Father here. Now, let's make this clear here. In looking at the Trinity, and we see Jesus, God the Son, as being an equal partner in the Trinity. But it says here, this makes it very clear, that Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Now, some of our children on Wednesday evenings have asked some questions about the Trinity that are just outstanding. One of them asked a question a few weeks ago, if Jesus, if Jesus is God's Son, how are they the same age? Now you think about that for a minute. That's a really good question. That is a question that my seminary professor posed to my class about a month ago to get our minds stirring to think about the Trinity. But here we see God the Father and God the Son are equal, but there are points in time throughout eternity where the Son is submissive to the Father. And He is submissive to the Father because of the Father's plan of salvation. And to give us an example that we are to be submissive also to God. So we see this here. It is a beautiful picture of submission. Because Jesus knows what is ahead of him. He knows that this is going to lead to the cross. And it's his whole reason for coming into earth. 
Listen to what's ahead of him. Ahead is going to be the Last Supper, the First Communion, the trial, the scourging, the beating, and ultimately a death on a cross. The most cruel form of punishment and death that anyone could face. But Jesus goes ahead and goes into Jerusalem knowing all these things because he has known from the foundation of history and from the foundation of creation, he has known that this day would come. And he submits to the will of the Father. Paul gives a wonderful example of this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5-7. through seven. He tells us this, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, uh, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was an example to us of servanthood and of submission to the will of the Father. So we see all those things there in verse number 28. And now we see that the disciples also submit their will to Jesus, the Savior. Read verses 29 through 35 with me here. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olives, he sent two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he has told them, and as they were untying the coat, the owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set, they set Jesus on it. Does the Lord ever give you any strange instructions? The Lord ever told you to do anything and you thought about it for a little bit and you thought this is just really strange? Has there ever been anyone that the Lord has said to you, you need to go witness to that person or you need to talk to that person and, and you just really have this uneasy feeling about it and you just think that it's a really strange request from the Lord for Him to tell you that? Now, I'm telling you, when these ladies came to me and said that the Holy Spirit had laid it on their heart for them to do a free yard sale. Don't you know that when God spoke to them and told them that, don't you know they thought that was kind of a strange thing? But yet, they were obedient in it, and, and in doing it, and were a blessing to our congregation who got to participate in that ministry by giving and by working, and also a blessing to our community. Because they were obedient. Now doesn't this sound like a strange instruction to the disciples to go into a town and to find a coat and to untie it and bring it back to Jesus? Now think about this. These men are with Jesus. They have witnessed the greatest ministry that would ever be on the face of the earth. They had seen people raised from the dead. They had witnessed Jesus walk on water. They had watched him heal the blind. They had listened to the greatest teaching that will ever be anywhere. And now he's telling two of them, I want you to go up into this city ahead of you 
and I want you to find a colt, and I want you to bring it back to me. Now, can you imagine the conversation of those two men as they walk in to get that colt? They're probably thinking that the other ten guys are still getting to be with Jesus, and here we are, we're having to walk up here and get a stinking donkey. Why did he pick us two? Why, why, why did he pick us? Why do we have to go get the colt? Maybe that was the conversation that they had. Or maybe, maybe their conversation was this. Man, I can't wait to see what Jesus does with this colt. I can't wait to see what I, I can't wait to see what's about to happen. Has he ever let us down? Has he ever failed us? Has there ever been any instruction that he ever gave us that didn't turn into being something wonderful? More than likely, that was the conversation that they had as they were walking to get that colt. Now I'm going to take these next few verses. And I'm going to do something that I normally don't do. I'm going to take these verses out of context, and I'm going to speak metaphorically for a minute. And if my preaching professor could hear me do this, I'd get an F, but he's not here. But look, the disciples have to submit to the will of, the, of Jesus. They have to obey. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to them. But they do it anyway. They obey immediately. Jesus gives them this command. He says, go. Is the word of Christ any different today? He commands us to go. He tells them to go, and they immediately go. Today, he still tells us, go. And where to go. He says, go into the village in front of you. Go into the village in front of you. Now I want you to think about the village that's in front of you for just a minute. Maybe it's Piedmont. Maybe it's Spring Garden. Maybe it's Pleasant Valley, White Plains. Uh, maybe it's some uh, other place in Cherokee County or somewhere around here. But there's a village in front of you. And Jesus told the disciples here, he said, go into the village in front of you. Now, we do a lot of ministry here. We go into foreign countries and we do ministry. We get onto airplanes and we go to places like Nicaragua or the Philippines or, or the um, um, Dominican Republic, different places like that. And we go and do ministry there. But what's most important is are we doing ministry here at home? Johnny Hunt makes a statement to his congregation many times. He says this, the light that shines the farthest away shines brightest at home. We are, we are to be working and sharing and evangelizing and helping and meeting needs here in our village that's in front of us. Taking care of our neighbors. I, will, I witnessed this yesterday. It was wonderful to see. I watched our congregation meet in this back parking lot back here and minister to the village in front of them. I was sitting there watching people who have been in this church all of their lives. I watched the Anderson sisters. I watched Janice and Sherry and Diana yesterday. They have been in this church. They've been a part of this church their whole life. This is what they know as church. And I watched them spend the whole day yesterday ministering to people, either in the fellowship hall or in the parking lot. I don't think there was a soul here that Sherry didn't talk to yesterday. (laughs) 
They put, <laughs> now you're in trouble. I got somebody with me in trouble now. I knew it'd be you. But I watched them, and they've been in this church their whole life. And then I watched the Bauer family, who've only been a member of our church for a month or so. And I watched them working and witnessing and ministering. And I watched Nikki Graves yesterday, who uh, she and Jeff came to me a couple years ago and said, I want, we want to partner with this church in ministry. And I watched Nikki put a plan together and place people at tables and, and that was her responsibility, and I watched her work yesterday morning doing that to the glory of God. And I just stood back at points in time and just looked, and I was in awe of what God was doing there in the parking lot here as people who've been here all their lives and people who've only been here for a couple of months or a couple of years came together and put together ministry for this city. And it was so wonderful to get to watch that yesterday because that's the village in front of us. And I've talked and I've talked and I've talked about us. Listen, we, we may have just been in the parking lot, but we might as well have been down at the gazebo in the middle of town because we were working and ministering to our community. Jesus says to them, he says, go into the village in front of you and you will find a coat. Now, how could Jesus be sure of that? How could he be sure that there was going to be a colt there tied up waiting on these two disciples as they went into this village? How could Jesus know that? That's right, Miss Betty. He knows everything. You know what? Jesus knows about your tomorrow. In a congregation this size, in an audience this size, there are some of you who this week you're going to meet something that you're not expecting. You're going to meet something that you don't know about. There may be a doctor sit and say words to you that take your heart and just drop it to the floor. There may be a financial situation come up out of nowhere and blindside you. There may be problems with your children. There may be things that you don't know about. But I want to assure you Jesus is already there. Jesus knows about your tomorrow and Jesus knows what's best for the situation. And I can promise you this, if you're a child of God, Jesus is going to meet you there and Jesus is going to walk through it with you. You're not going to go alone. Jesus knows all about your tomorrow. He says you're not just going to find a coat, but you're going to find a coat tied. And I, I think it's a representation there of the bondage of sin. Some people are just tied to a bondage of sin and we're to find those people, go to those people who are tied and show them the opportunity that they have to be loose from that. Jesus said, goes further and he says, on which no one has ever yet sat. It's an unbroken wheel. Those of you who know anything about a donkey know that if a donkey, if you've never rode, if that donkey's never been rode, you just don't jump up on the back of that donkey and expect it to gallop along at a nice pace. It's going to do everything it can to kick you in the head and get rid of you. But Jesus said specifically, he said, I want this coat because it's nobody's ever sat on it and I'm going to show you that I am in charge. It's a will that had never been submitted. There are people in our, in our midst whose will has never been submitted to Jesus Christ. 
I remember the moment when I submitted my will to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the difference that it made. He says, untie it. Free that coat from all that binds it. And bring it here. Bring those who are bound, bring them to Jesus. Pray for those people every single day and don't ever stop praying for them until they're loosed from what binds them. And he says, if anyone asks, if anyone asks, any of y'all worry about public opinion? I don't. I don't care a thing about public opinion. I'm going to tell you what. There were people who looked me in the eye and said, well, y'all can't do that yard sale. That's open day of baseball. That's prom. I have one word response from the Greek. Baloney. Listen, if you, let, if you let what other people think and you let what other people say about what you're doing for the Lord, you won't ever do anything. You will never do anything for the Lord if you worry about what other people are saying. Well, people just going to come take advantage of y'all. Well, yeah, some of them did. But I guarantee you, the rest of them know that there's a group of people who love Jesus. I had two, pe- I had two women who just refused to fill out one of those cards. I didn't turn them away. Go on in. Get what you want. Get all you want. Don't worry about what people are saying about you. Listen, there are, there are other churches that folded their arms and said, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Well, they ain't doing nothing. There's always going to be public opinion that, that is against you. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Do what you were called to do by Jesus and don't let it stop you and do it to the glory of God. Because the Lord has need. That's the next statement he makes. He says, the Lord has need. This cult was born for a purpose. And now on this day, its purpose in life is going to be to take Jesus in on the triumphal entry. You have a purpose in life. You were born, you were born for a purpose in life to serve the Lord and to let Him show you what that is for in, in your life. Every single person in this audience this morning, God has something for you to do. No matter how young you old are or how old you are, God has something for you to do. The Lord has need, and I'm going to tell you this. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to make it look all flowery and beautiful. If you find that purpose and you begin to work that purpose and you begin to be a part of that purpose, Satan is going to attack you in every single possible way that he can. If you want to know that you are doing what the Lord has for you to do, you can know that by the opposition that you're facing. I can tell you the devil is attacking me from every single direction that he can possibly attack me from, and it proves to me that I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. I'm being obedient and submissive to the will of the Lord, and I I can tell you that if you are, you will be attacked from every angle. 
but you have to be obedient. Obedience is the only validation of your salvation. It is the only possible proof that you really recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ is if you are obedient. Because there are many out there who are waiting to be freed. So we go. And in a few weeks, at the first Sunday of this, of this uh, the month of May, we're going to do everything we can. The week before, we're going to be in, in schools in Piedmont and Spring Garden, and we're bringing a group of people in to, uh, to evangelize those schools and to, and, and to invite children and their families to come to the park on the first Sunday of May, the Park Fest. We're going to leave this church, and we're going to go down there because it is our obligation to try to win those people to the Lord. And on the heels of that, there's a community vacation Bible school in July that Donna's put together. It was Donna's vision for our whole community to come together and do a vacation Bible school. We're going to do everything we can to be a part of that. And we're going to go and we're going to proclaim and we're going to teach these children and we're going to try our best to plug these children into our Awana ministry so that they know Scripture and know and fall in love with Jesus and spend the rest of their life with Him. So submit to the will of the Savior. And then we see nature submitting to the will of the Creator and King. Read verses 35 through 40 with me. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they, they spread their cloaks on the road. And, and he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The rocks would cry out. Look, let's close. They brought the coat to Jesus. They set their garments upon it. They took their cloaks off and set them on it. And then they, Jesus set on it. And the stubborn will of, the, of this colt, this donkey, submitted to Jesus. Think about Jesus in nature. Storms obeyed him. Winds obeyed him. The sea obeyed him. The fish obeyed him. And now he tells the Pharisees that if, you, if these people don't cry out in praise to me, the rocks will cry out in praise to me. Jesus came down into the city of Jerusalem for one purpose. For one purpose, and that was for the people who are sitting here this morning and for every man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever be born after the cross. He came for that purpose to set us free. He came knowing that sin had corrupted so sin had corrupted this earth completely and he came to be the answer to that sin. And someday Jesus is going to do another triumphal entry. He's going to come back to this earth not as a humble servant on a lowly colt, but he's coming back someday as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And the Bible tells me expressly that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he will establish here what God intended for the world to be at creation. Isaiah gives a wonderful account of it. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8, this is what Jesus is going to establish when he comes back and he purges this earth of sin and he establishes his, earth, his eternal kingdom. It says, The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Jesus is coming back, and nature is going to completely submit to him. Everything is going to completely submit to him when he establishes his kingdom for eternity. Everything will be as God purposed it to be. See, there's going to be a difference in his second return than there was on his first return. And this morning, I want to tell you that there can be a difference in your life for eternity. Because you give your will over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, throughout this nation and throughout the world, men will stand before congregations and they will declare that Jesus Christ is not only, not only his death and burial, but most important, his resurrection. The turning point for all history. Men will declare it from pulpits all over the world. And people will submit and give their lives to Jesus Christ. But wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if you knew already a week ahead of time what a lot of those people will know next Sunday. Because Jesus, as he made his way into Jerusalem, and as the people gathered there crying out, the king is coming. Hosanna to the king. This morning... In a lot of our hearts, we're crying out, the King is here. The King is alive in my heart. Jesus is alive in our hearts. And there's nothing, nothing that would stop Him this morning from reaching and making a change in your heart and in your life. We sang a song earlier about the power of the blood, power to forgive sin. Jesus died for your sins. He accepted the wrath of God on the cross. The complete wrath of God on him there that day. And that wrath was intended for you. But he took it. He bore the shame and humiliation for you. He had been in eternal existence with the Father, and for those six hours as he hung on Calvary's cross, the Father had to turn and look away from him because he couldn't look on our sin. Jesus had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And it was for you that he did. Do not pass up the opportunity that's before you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do not pass up the opportunity that is before you to know that for eternity you will live with Jesus in the home that He is preparing for us now. You'll never ever have to live in doubt of that eternity ever again. Mike is coming to lead us in a time of reflection, a time of invitation, a time of worship. I want you this morning, if you are here and you know that you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to first of all realize that he went into this city knowing that he was going to die, knowing that there was no way that he was ever going to come out of the walls of Jerusalem alive. But he went for you. And if you had been the only one, he would have gone on anyway. So come this morning. I'll be here. Seth will be here. We will have scripture. And we can show you how to know Christ as your Savior. And how to have peace with God for eternity. Would you stand this morning as we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Palm Sunday that would lead to a dark day on Friday. Jesus would give his life for each of us and the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are many, but you forgave them all. And I pray this morning that there would be people here who would come and say, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. There will be people who will come here and say, I want to follow in believer's baptism, or I want to unite in fellowship with this church. Father, may we use this time wisely and be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.